reaching, growing, and sending. And this foundation of that, those three terms come from a, a passage that may be pretty familiar to some people, may not for others, but uh, it's what's called the Great Commission. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 28. That's where we're going to start this morning, Matthew chapter 28. And it's, it's, inter- it's the last little statement that God directed Matthew to include in his gospel. So it's the very last thing. And it, you, you get, so we should really think of that as, okay, this is some important stuff. Now, you want to end with the core important things. And this is what God led Matthew to end his letter with here in uh, his gospel. And honestly, though, when I have uh, in years past thought about uh, the Great Commission, my knee jerk, because most people, when even if you Google it, if you Google the Great Commission, more than likely it'll start Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. But we're going to back up a little bit to verse 16, because I think there's some things there that really can help us in this. But the Great Commission, or if uh, another word for the commission, uh, the word uh, commission would simply be the great calling on a person's life. And we've talked a little bit about calling and God's will and God's purpose in our lives already. And the, what we've talked about in the past few weeks is God, we use in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to walk in. So he has unique things for you and I, and they're unique because we're wired different, we're gifted different. And he, he said, these are things that are I've placed in you to use in the kingdom. And what we need to do in light of what we're talking about today, these are things that are uniquely placed in you, that you are uniquely gifted in, that are a part of the calling, but it is part of this great commission, greater calling. So your gifts and your abilities are all connected to pulling this off, living this out, this great commission. So let's look at Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. And it says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw them, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is Jesus post-resurrection. Last Sunday stuff that we talked about, Easter stuff, Easter has happened. Uh, what went on in the first part of verse 28 or chapter 28? Mary and Mary show up to the tomb to tend to Jesus' body. Angel meets with him. He said, he's not here. He's risen. And so obviously this is a huge, huge turning point in history. But for sure in their lives, he is risen. They get this message from this angel. The angel says, go tell the other uh, disciples and go to Galilee. So they're going back to tell the other disciples they have an encounter with Jesus. Jesus says the same thing. I've risen. Go tell the other disciples 
We're going to meet in Galilee. So somewhere between around verse 9 and verse 16, they find out exactly where to go in Galilee. They knew to go to Galilee. Now they said, go to this mountain, and they meet with him. And look at verse 17, though. And this is why I thought it was really important for us to include this before we got to the commission itself. Verse 17, and when they, talking about the, all the disciples that came, when they saw him, all of them worshipped, but some doubted. It's interesting. All worshipped, some doubted. And the reason I, I wanted to throw this in is just kind of doubt is not a disqualifier for ministry. Now, there are some doubts that would disqualify you from Christian ministry. I, I'm not saying that they're all doubts are created equal. So, but if you say, let's say if you doubt that Jesus is the Son of, the God, Son of God, okay, that one might be a disqualifier. Um, if you doubt that he is the only way for salvation, that, that could be a disqualifier. That, uh, if you uh, doubt that the Bible's God's word, those kind of things, there, there are doubts that would disqualify, but... We need to be careful with our because we, we all have some things that we just don't fully get. And what Satan loves to do with those little doubts, he'll put it, he'll make it like a pebble in your shoe. This little thing that drives you crazy and distracts you from whatever you're really supposed to be doing. But one thing this passage lets us know that one of the things that did not happen with these doubts, one thing that these disciples knew for sure, they had the doubts, but they also knew Jesus is God. Because notice what they did. They didn't see him and admire him. Like, wow, he's impressive. That was, he, he pulled that off. That's good. No, he, he, they worshiped. Worship that is only intended for God, that was their response. Yes, we've got, there's some that had some questions, but it did not stop them from worshiping. They clearly knew, they didn't say, he was a, he's a great prophet. That's, that's what uh, the Muslims would say about Jesus. He, he's admirable. No, they worshiped. So again, I, I appreciated this. And, and another thing that lets us know that it doesn't disqualify them from ministry to have some doubts, that he said, okay, he didn't, we don't read here, some, all worship, some doubted, and he doesn't say, okay, those of you that are doubting need to hit the bricks, because what I'm about to say doesn't apply to you. He, did, he, he doesn't push them away. And some people are like, well, maybe he just didn't know about the I don't think we can play that card because earlier in Matthew, I think it's around chapter 8 or 9, Jesus is teaching to a group of people. And there's some scribes in there, some, some of the Jewish leaders in the crowd that he's speaking to. And Scripture says in their minds, they started saying that you know, this guy is blasphemous. They weren't saying it, but in their hearts and minds they were saying it. And it says that Jesus perceived what was in their hearts and in their minds and address them. Even though they didn't say anything, he started addressing their doubts. 
their argument against him. So if Jesus can know the minds of his opponents, Scripture says, you know, even Scripture tells us that you know, man looks on the power, outward appearance, God looks on the heart. I think it's safe to say that Jesus would understand and know that the doubts were there. Obviously, he's not in this passage, but he's done it before with people who were opponents. And these people, one thing, and if God looks on the outward appearance, God look, uh, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart, he clearly can know from their hearts and their actions that they are worshipers, rightly worshiping him as God. And here in just a minute, he's about to tell them to go. Go and make disciples. And, and you may have heard this passage taught on before, but really what this means is as you go throughout your life, you go and make disciples. And I'll be honest, I think the reason the thing that didn't come right after this worship and some doubting, I don't think that Jesus started addressing those doubts right away because so many of our doubts get taken away in obedience. As we start to walk and obey God's faithfulness and God teaches us as we go, that you see that in how he calls his disciples, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. And they leave and they come and then he starts teaching them and walking with them as they go, revealing those truths. Because you cannot experience God's faithfulness without obedience. It's not possible. We are to walk, we are to go, we are to obey, and in that going, we truly can. Yes, he is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Yes, as I've walked with obedience, he has given me that peace that surpasses all understanding. Yes, he tells me in times when I am dealing with others, he'll give me the words that I need. All those things, he, like, you experience those things as we walk in faithful obedience. Not perfect obedience, but that's where he, his grace and his mercy as he walks with us. And in that, so, so many of our questions are taken away. It's just follow me. So let's look, go back to this passage. And he saw them and uh, wor they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, he said, gather around, listen to me. He starts with this statement. All authority in heaven on earth and on earth has been given to me. So I can't, I can't help but imagine this is probably a crazy scene. You have these disciples who watched Jesus die on the cross, be buried, and then they see him again. And you see a risen person, and all the and so many things that had been taught to them start to make sense in a way they'd never made sense before. They're like, "Oh, I get what he's saying," and they start worshiping him as rightly as God. And then Jesus is like, "Okay, listen. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me." And the, the point of him saying that was to, like, okay, we let's let's listen to what he has to say. This is an authoritative statement he is throwing out there by saying all authority in heaven. It's kind of reminds me, my daughter, she works uh, in Dalton at this uh, restaurant called Native Kitchen. And she 
she came home from work. This was about, I don't know, four or five months ago. And uh, she said, there's this new guy, and I don't like him. And uh, we were like, well, okay, well, you've worked with him once. Why do you? She's like, God, he's just this know-it-all guy. She, and it wasn't his first day, but it was her first day working with him. And she said, he, he was telling me stuff I was supposed to be doing. And he, he, I've been there for over a year, and I've been doing this, and, and he comes in, and he's telling me what to do and all these different things. And she said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't know why. And so you have that, but I guarantee you, if her boss, Dustin, came in and told her almost the exact same thing, could tell her the exact same thing, it would hit different, right? Because there's this authority thing that comes into play, this person that really, like, what is about to be said wouldn't be the same if Jesus had encountered Mary and Martha and said, gather everybody up and here's what I want you to tell them. No, it's different when Jesus said, let me set this stage that you need to know who I am. You are getting a clearer and clearer picture of who I am. And he puts it into this one statement, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. But I, and we talked about it a little bit last week, and I'm, so I'm not going to go into a ton of de but details, but turn in your Bible, or I think it's in your bulletin, Philippians, yeah, it's in there, Philippians 2, 4 through 11. We get Paul's kind of portrayal of how did Jesus get this authority? To get that kind of authority where heaven and earth are under his authority. You, you, you see that you would come to our mind is what, what conquering had to be done. Now, granted, he did conquer. He conquered the two things that were death sentences for us, which is sin and death. He conquered that. But how did he get to that? And we see in this passage... Starting in verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That last statement there. Here's the mind. If you're in Christ, here's the mind that comes with it. If you are self-serving, self-gratifying, self-glorifying, that's not a mind that comes from Christ. He said, you need to have this mentality that is for others, for the body, for the kingdom, not for self. And it's one of those things, our knee-jerk, well, then how are my needs going to be met? They're going to be, how they're going to be met is by us ministering to one another as we love and care for one another. And he said, this is the mindset that you receive from Jesus. And like I talked about last week, Jesus is our example in life. And he is our example in death. We are supposed to follow after him in both. And look, he paints a picture of what Jesus' life looked like. He said, you get this mind from Christ, starting in uh, verse 8, who, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. And by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he said, you want to you know how Jesus, God does not call us to do something that he's not already set us an example for. Hebrews tells us that we have a sympathetic high priest who is able to identify with us in our weaknesses. 
mean? Jesus is saying, if you follow after me, to do that, you sacrifice your hopes, your dreams, everything, and turn them over to me because I've got something far better than you could ever ask for or imagine. And he displayed it by one, by him showing up. Think about this. Jesus, he's, he's eternal. He, in heaven, being willing to say, okay, I will leave here, let go of the things of heaven to come, take on flesh, live the life that they can't live, die the death that was intended for them, and defeat death and rise from the dead, and they too will follow after me. So he sets this pattern, this tone. He said, I will sacrifice. But notice the words that are used here. He came and made himself a servant. He didn't show up. If it, it would have been a sacrifice if Jesus left heaven and came to earth and lived as a king. That would still have been a sacrifice compared to heaven. He's like, no, I, I am coming as a servant, humbling myself. Again, I, I will be able to identify with everyone in their weaknesses. And he came, he became the servant for us. Again, our example to follow after. And he became this example of obedience that it wasn't simply obedience when it was comfortable. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, a horrific death. Again, that was intended for us, and it had to be horrific because of the gravity of our sin. He says, this, I'm setting this an exam, as an example. But notice the result. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestow, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. There it is again, just like Jesus had said in the Great Commission. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at what the Father put in Look at what he's done. His glory and our good, all wrapped up in one thing. So this authority that he has been given, this authority that came to him through his life, not just his death, his life was a sacrifice as well. His life, death, burial, and resurrection, what it purchased for us. He said, now I have authority in heaven and on earth, and in light of that authority, Here's what needs to happen. And he tells them, go. Go and make disciples. He doesn't say just make converts. He doesn't say just go out there and get somebody to say Jesus. Just get them into submission. As long as they say Jesus, we're good, and you can move on to the next. No, he says make disciples. People who are following after me, people who are understanding what this is all about. He said, let's make disciples of all nations. And that all nations thing was mind-blowing for the, uh, these good Jewish boys that he had been working with. All nations? This isn't just a Jewish thing? We got to go to those nasty Gentiles? And yeah. All, what I have purchased is for everyone. Go and make disciples. But there's got to be a right heart behind this. Let's, let's flip over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, um, let's see, this is not in your bulletin, but um, 
Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 38. These are the last little bit here. And I've always appreciated this passage. I mean, it just really shows Jesus' heart for the people around him. Starting, he says this, I'm sorry, verse 35. And Jesus, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Here's the scripture. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. A lot of times, man, I'll be honest, I, I, I don't have that heart when I look around. When I see the sinfulness around me, and, and granted, we, we need to love the thing God loves and hate the thing God hates. We need, we need to be there. But so often those things are attached to people that my knee-jerk reaction to them is not compassion. Just not. I wish it was. I wish I would see the sinfulness that somebody is walking in. And I, yeah, definitely not champion anything or change what you know, try to change what Scripture says and call something evil uh, good rather than what it is. But Jesus saw these people, and he was like, man, they're, they're harassed and helpless. They need the gospel. They need this truth to permeate their lives, and he had compassion on them. I'm like, God, that's what needs to fuel our going. To go and make disciples, I've got to have that heart. That if they don't hear this message, they're hopeless and helpless. And they're like harassed sheep without a shepherd. They need this. And Lord, give me that heart. And Jesus encourages his disciples. Notice he says the harvest is plentiful. He, said, he doesn't say there's a lot of plowing that needs to be done. He goes, no, get out there. The harvest is plentiful. Just go collect it. God's authority in heaven and on earth guarantees the harvest. Our going will be fruitful because of who he is. He works through the obedience of his children, but he is the one bringing about the fruit, bringing about the harvest. The harvest is there. He is saying, come on, join in with what I've been doing and bringing men and women unto myself, bringing them into the family of God. Just bring in the harvest. Just go. Now, granted, it, it, he, our example, and we see by the example of his life, this is not an easy thing. It's not something that people are going to say, I'm so glad you're here for the harvest. So glad. No. Jesus, perfect, sinless, perfect in love, perfect in goodness, they hated him and they killed him. Satan's on the offense. We need to be on the offense as well. But what our offense looks like is obedience to the word of God and having his heart and his mind toward the people around us. Again, it does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that we water down what we're supposed to be uh, proclaiming in the gospel message. Lord, just give me compassion for the people around me. 
And I also think that the first place we must go is to one another. This one is in your bulletin, John uh, 13, uh, 31 through 35. John chapter 13, 31 through 35. And you know, Jesus had said in other places, you know, the Pharisees trying to kind of paint him into a corner and uh, say, you know, teacher, well, oh, great teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, first is love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he, he had talked about these things before, but he, he really put some weight on this new commandment here in 31 and 35. And he says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man to be. Now, he had gone out. But this is at the right around the Last Supper. Judas goes out to betray Jesus and do what uh, he was going to do. And he says, so when he had gone out, that is Judas leaving the rest of them. Jesus knew that, okay, this is about to happen. They're about to come arrest me. I'm going to give them this last bit of information here. This is important stuff. He said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Just talking about the glory that will come. Uh, Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And this is what he's talking about, the glory of God right here. And so he says, verse 33, little children, he, he's saying, listen to me like a father, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, say now, say now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And here it is, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Believer to believer, care and love for one another is a powerful thing. Matter of fact, it has to be there. If we are going to be effective in our weakness, in our witness, we must be effective in our care for one another first. And he said, and look at the kind of love he says. I want you to love each other as I have loved you. Now, this didn't mean the same thing at this moment that they first heard this as it did just as several hours later. We're God demonstrated his love for us, and then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He hadn't gone to the cross yet, but Jesus is saying, heads up, I want you to love each other as I have loved you, and I'm giving myself for you. They don't get this yet, but you and I, on this side of the cross, we get what he's saying here, and we've already talked about it in Philippians, this self-sacrificing love, and he said, you need to have this for one another. As a matter of fact, this is a huge statement that's in here. The world is going to know you're my disciples by how you care for, for one another. What? The world will know? it Because... Maybe the first your, your knee-jerk reaction when we hear that great commission, go therefore and make disciples, our knee-jerk reaction, well, does that mean I need to sign up for a mission trip somewhere? Maybe. Not saying you don't. But it better start in your, in your church family, in your family, having a Christ-like love for one another. 
It doesn't say the world will know you're my disciples by how many mission trips you go to. The world will know you're my disciples by how many church services you show up to. It doesn't say those things. The scripture talks about those things being important, but man, the world will see something different when we care and minister for one another rightly. And like I said, yeah, it's weird that we're all together and we're different people from different backgrounds, but God brought us into family and when god saves us and the indwelling holy spirit comes to take up residence within us we are more related than anybody that could be in this room that you are blood related to because we are eternally related we're family too often yeah the family can get a little dysfunctional but we are here with and for one another and that's why over and over and over again in Scripture, you see Paul, Peter, uh, Jesus here you, emphasizing the importance of family unity. And yes, next week, a cookout. <laughs> that's, I, 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 I want to get to know people and get to know people better, but it, it, it takes time. But... I don't want to get to know y'all better just to know you better. I want to get to know you better because of this. Our impact on this community, on our county, in this world, starts with our care for one another. A unified front of people who are saying, I want to reach grow and sin. I want to reach people. I'm going to go and make disciples of all nations. I want and that going again it's as you go. And what is emphasized there? Who are the people in your day-to-day life that need to know the gospel? There's going to be times and places where God will set up things where it's like just a one-time conversation you may get to share the gospel. But most of the time it's just people that you're with regularly and having those gospel conversations, praying for God to bring those, open those doors. You know what? He'll do it. If you're praying for those kind of things, I promise you'll do it. It gets a little creepy sometimes he'll do it so well. And it's like, holy smokes, how did you open that door when we were talking about this, God, and it led to this? Thank you, Lord, for letting me be a part of something there. I had a guy in my past that I worked with, and I would... Uh, he would kind of poke fun at Christianity a good bit, and you know, just trying to see what, I don't know if he was trying to see how I would respond or whatever, but, and I remember just, I'd use my time on my way to work praying, God, just give me a chance to talk to Lamar. Open a door, let me have, because some days we'd work together, some days we wouldn't, and I remember just over time getting to know him, getting to know his story, and then after hearing his story, I'm like, no wonder you're, you hate Christianity. What you, what you experienced was Horror. When I told him, I said, dude, if, if that was truly what Christianity was, I'd be in the same boat as you. I'm, like, I'm not mad at you for where you're at, and that's what you've experienced, and I hate that. But I said, that's not it. You know, we talked about different things. We, and, and, and I did not ever get a chance to you know, like lead him to the Lord, whatever you want to say from that. But we moved up north, and a couple of months, maybe a month after we'd been there, I get a call from Lamar. 
in those conversations that you and I had over those years of working together, he said, that was, that was part of it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Let God lets us be a part of really cool things that doesn't just change a person's day. It changes their eternity. And we are the people that just, he says, go. The harvest is there. Just go. I promise you it's going to be productive. Go. Just hope that we're people that we just pray, God, remove those fears, remove those things. Yeah, I may have some things that I'm not clear on. There may be things, but I know you're God. I know you are who you say you are, and therefore I will follow hard after you. I trust you to guide and direct my life and my thoughts. So th there's, there's the first part of reach, reaching those around us, just going where he tells us to go. Next week, y'all can come on up as we wrap up uh, our uh, service time. But, man, I hope we are ready to reach. And next week, we'll talk about growing and sending. And uh, like I said, I'm so glad for verse 17 of the Great Commission. All worship, some doubted. He, he can work through us and with us, even with those questions. He's just saying, come follow me. I will walk with you. I will give you the clarifiers you need. Maybe not clarifiers that's going to give you some clarity for miles down the road, but I'll give you clarity for those next steps. Because he is a loving father that walks with his children and lets his children be a part of dad things that he's doing. Things that were like, oh, this is far better than I could have asked for or imagined. So I hope that we are settling in on that. I hope we are committed to caring for one another you know and us in the situation we're at in right now we're just getting to know each other and i hope we do that and i know there's some of you here that you know like, well i don't even know for sure if this is the church for me and i will be praying for you in that I, we're only four sundays in so still a lot of trial period stuff and we want to walk with you in that if you've got questions for us please come talk to us but we want to be people who are of the book and of our father's God, we are grateful for you having a good, pleasing, and perfect will, like your word tells us. And you have put into play this amazing, powerful thing called the church. And Lord, forgive us. We can get distracted by so many things. So many things that in the big picture don't matter. But Lord, I do pray that we are striving to do what your word tells us and working out, out our salvation with fear and trembling. We do want to have right thinking that results in right action. But God, we're grateful for your patience. We're grateful for your grace. And Lord, say if anybody lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault God I pray that we are seeking you in your wisdom not our own understanding but your wisdom Lord that you have made available to us because of Christ through your indwelling Holy Spirit to guide and direct us in our day-to-day -day lives Lord may we lean hard into you thank you for making yourself available to your children 
You're a God who's near and not far. So, God, I pray that we enjoy the walk, enjoy the plan that you have for us. May we be active in our part, active in obedience, and walking with you. Thank you for the day you've given us. In your son's name we pray.